Perry, Perry through the middle, touchdown Michigan, and the Wolverines have won it in overtime. Michigan wins by a score of 27 to 24. The team storms the field to mob Chris Perry. WCBN Sports, 88.3 FM, Ann Arbor, WCBN.org. Grabs on to attempt it for the Wolverines. Holds her breath, Ann Arbor, as the bar gets set. Places down, kick is up. It's long enough. It's good! It's good! Michigan wins the game! Michigan shocks Washington, and the Wolverines are victorious! Fight cell by cell through bodies and mind screams of the earth. Souls rotten from the orgasm drug. Flesh shuddering from the ovens. Prisoners of the earth come out. Storm the studio. Burnt metal smell of interplanetary war in the raw noon streets. Swept by screaming glass blizzards of enemy flak. Shift linguals, free doorways, cut word lines, photo falling, word falling, breakthrough in gray room, towers, open fire. Citizen, you are listening to WCBN-FM in Ann Arbor. Guilt, blast, bound, stab, strap, kill. Pilot K-9, you are cut off. Back. Return to base immediately. Ride music beam back to base. Stay out of that time flack. All pilots, ride pan pipes back to base. Back to base. Well, uh, welcome to another edition of Gray Matters here on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. My name is Dick Whaley, and my partner Jim Dwyer had to return to school today, so he's uh, he's busy with. Uh, grading and whatnot so he'll be back next week um obviously the holidays always uh, allow you to sort of catch up on different things uh, from the past movies books etc and uh i spent my holidays fairly fruitfully reading quite a bit of stuff about the cold war and uh, richard nixon and whittaker chambers Speaking of Richard Nixon, we'll have uh, plenty to say about Richard Nixon in the upcoming year because 1973 was actually the beginning of the downfall of uh, Richard Nixon. Uh, many of the important events known as Watergate occurred during 1973. So uh, given the fact that this is the 40th anniversary of the demise of Tricky Dick, we will have plenty of shows uh, with respect to Watergate anniversaries that brought about this historical event. Now, obviously, over the past week, uh, well, I guess the only relevant thing that, that happened is we're not talking about the fiscal cliff anymore. It's back to the debt ceiling. And uh, Congress, of course, reelected John Boehner, uh, barely. I dare say that he is the <clears throat> lamest duck speaker of the House in American history. 
Uh, he barely survived. And uh, clearly, watching the uh, sort of infighting within the Republican Party will be a very fascinating um, development this, this upcoming year because uh, John Boehner has to really decide whether he wants to be uh, Speaker of the House or uh, a sort of uh, weakened leader of the Republican Party because his caucus seems to be in disarray. And uh, it's important to note that the 113th Congress that was just sworn in don't believe the media hype that this was a status quo election. In fact, the uh, electorate moved a good deal to the left. Not a good deal, but certainly slightly. Uh, there are many more liberal. The Senate is more liberal than it was uh, a, a year ago, and uh, even the House is. And it's interesting to note, by the way, that this is the highest percentage of women uh, in, uh, in American Congress in American history. I think that bodes well for a certain developments, including perhaps some changes in our approach to uh, gun control, but uh, that remains to be seen. Needless to say, we had another mass shooting occurring once again in Aurora. And to some extent, I hope that the media does not wallow too much in gun violence. 386 <clears throat> is a number worth noting. That was the number of homicides that occurred in the city of Detroit last year. And, uh, well, I don't have the statistics in front of me. I'm willing to bet that that exceeds the uh, combined gun deaths in the rest of the industrialized world. And I'm leaving China out of the industrialized world because they're still a developing country. But when we think of uh, Western Europe, Canada, Australia, etc., and many of these uh, nation states have made important uh, gun control reforms uh, from mass shootings, America seems to still be far behind. But 386 murders just in the city of Detroit. Not good. Uh, I'm even willing to bet that Flint, uh, which I don't have the number in front of me there, but I think Flint probably had more gun deaths than the rest of the industrialized world combined. Frightening. This makes American exceptional. Uh, but uh, it remains a very, very violent society. Another uh, number worth noting, I think, is 333. Uh, that was uh, published in December. That is the number of consecutive months that the world's temperature exceeded the average for the 20th century. 333 consecutive months. That's almost 30 years. And uh, I heard that later in the week we're going to be looking at 50-degree temperatures here in Ann Arbor. Well, this is in the middle of January traditionally is uh, the coldest month here. So while we've got a little snow on the ground, and certainly there was uh, some snow activity around the Christmas holidays that uh, impaired traffic and travel and whatnot, uh, seeing 50 degrees uh, in the middle of January does not bode well uh, for global warming. 2012, for the record, was the warmest since they've been keeping reliable temperature records dating back to the late 19th century. 
Now, the big story today, uh, I don't think we need to go into the unemployment picture too much, sort of a steady-as-she-goes situation. I noticed, by the way, that Ben Bernanke is giving a uh, talk next week here in Ann Arbor. And I seem to remember that it's at the Rackham Amphitheater. So uh, it's Monday afternoon, I believe at 4 o'clock. I should have brought in the little blurb about it, but uh, that might be worth uh, going to see because the chairman of the Federal Reserve is frequently regarded as the second most powerful man in the world. And uh, Bernanke, I suspect, will finish out his uh, sort of uh, designated term, but uh, might be uh, worth checking out to get his uh, picture on the uh, situation uh, with the economy. It's interesting to note that just at the end of uh, November, the Fed survey showed that the economy improving in most regions, and this, of course, is the Federal Reserve's 12 districts uh, detailing um, economic activity in in our uh, 12 regions, and uh, they all look uh, sort of steady as she goes. Uh, Home sales improving slightly, manufacturing relatively steady, Uh, this despite all the uncertainty about the so-called fiscal cliff, and we'll give John Boehner a brain damage award for not uh, providing Hurricane Sandy uh, aid in any sort of timely fashion. They, of course, kicked the can down the road. In fact, Congress is kicking the can down the road on so many things. I think a couple of those guys ought to try out for the Michigan football team. Their eligibility is still uh, probably available, and they might be uh, pretty good at kicking Uh, Maybe they should try out for the Ohio State football team. Since they miss the field goal so often, I'd love to see them start for OSU. In any event, uh, interesting uh, to hear today that uh, Barack Obama has appointed uh, Chuck Hagel to be the Secretary of Defense. It's interesting how these stories sort of uh, percolate over a couple of weeks. Uh, This uh, announcement was made official today, but was certainly leaked uh, to the media a couple of weeks ago to sort of get the skeletons out of the closet uh, regarding Hagel. And I think that Hagel is actually a good uh, choice uh, to be the Secretary of Defense at this time because he's known to be rather a skeptic of uh, war. I don't think he's got any... uh, a burning ambition to uh, p- p- deploy American troops into um, Syria or Iran. And it's fascinating to note that in the hoopla and the outcry about this uh, announced uh, appointment of uh, Chuck Hagel, as Secretary of Defense, we've seen the uh, Israeli lobby rise up in opposition. Well, the neoconservatives uh, apparently unabashed from their failed policies over the past decade or are out denouncing Chuck Hagel. And indeed, he's had to endure some rather silly and I think uh, defamatory uh, comments regarding anti-Semitism. It is true that Chuck Hagel apparently in an interview uh, used the term Jewish lobby at one point when he probably meant uh, Israeli lobby. And it's probably true that he dressed down some ambassador 15 years ago about 
homosexuality. But these, this sort of, uh, I don't know, archaeological uh, um, investigations into every little uh, statement that a, a person made throughout their life strikes me as, as so trivial and, and um, pointless that it, it, it borders on a kind of an immaturity that uh, is very troubling. And the idea that the Israeli lobby, of course, doesn't play an enormous role and have an influence on American foreign policy is um, delusional, to say the least. Hegel, of course, at one point made a comment that he uh, represents America as a U.S. senator, not as a senator from Israel. That was one of the comments that apparently has offended some of the uh, right-wing uh, people connected to the Israeli lobby. One of the most important books written uh, in the past, uh, probably in my lifetime, uh, regarding the power of the Israeli lobby was published back in 2007, co-authored by John Mearsheimer and Stephen Walt. The book entitled The Israel Lobby, The Israel Lobby and for U.S. Foreign Policy. And needless to say, when this book was published, uh, it was uh, deemed controversial. Indeed, former President Jimmy Carter grew, uh, drew a huge hue and cry, a sort of uh, sound and fury of crit criticism when he compared uh, the occupation of the West Bank to apartheid and the uh, policies of uh, the South African government uh, during the apartheid era. An era, by the way, that uh, Ronald Reagan was always apologizing for. Uh, he didn't have any problems with apartheid for most of his presidency. And indeed, uh, at one point, called Mel Nelson Mandela a communist. Mandela, of course, has been in the news a little bit lately because of deteriorating health, but we wish him well. He appear appears to have improved. And needless to say, he's, uh, uh, I believe, in his 90s, so he's uh, hanging in there. But back to uh, John Mearsheimer and Stephen Walt for a second, and uh, the book entitled The Israel Lobby and U.S. Foreign Policy, because I think that we will see uh, over the next coming weeks uh, during the Hegel uh, nomination hearings, and I suspect that at the end of the day he'll uh, get in. After all, I think that it is historic that we have an enlisted man heading up the Pentagon. And it's important to realize that the Secretary of Defense and their position vis-a-vis -vis Israel is frankly irrelevant. Um, the Secretary of Defense operates the American military. And the connection between the American military and Israeli foreign policy, uh, these are non sequiturs. This is like apples and oranges. Eric Alterman, uh, a book that I read over this uh, holiday that I highly recommend called The Cause. I didn't bring in the whole subtitle, but it's a new book published by Eric Alterman and interestingly co-written by a professor at Ohio University. Um, I want to say his name is Kevin Matson. Um, uh, Ohio University is where I grew up in Athens, Ohio, and I was home for the holidays and was tempted to call him up and do a kind of uh, friend of the family kind of interview since my father was a uh, historian 
of European history in the at the, the uh, Ohio University in Athens, Ohio. Eric Alterman wrote a very interesting column that I actually saved in my uh, notes on the Israel Lobby book by uh, Mearsheimer and Walt. By the way, uh, Mearsheimer is a sort of an expert on national security issues. I think he's done consulting work. He's a professor, I believe, in the Chicago area. And Stephen Walt, as I recall, is uh, a professor at Harvard. Mearsheimer has been more uh, out in the media when this book came out in 2007. And of course, it did bring out uh, the usual charges of anti-Semitism. We're already hearing this uh, term thrown around with respect to Chuck Hagel by uh, people connected to the neoconservative movement, as well as the Israeli lobby here in the United States. In February of 2009, uh, less than a month into uh, Obama's presidency, Alterman wrote a interesting review or commentary, since he has a column in The Nation magazine fairly consistently. This is dated the 16th of February, 2009, regarding some criticism that uh, Bill Moyers was getting for from the uh, B'nai B'rith Anti-Defamation League uh, and uh, Abraham Foxman, who uh, attacked Bill Moyers, I'm going to quote here, who Alterman notes is a longstanding friend and occasional supporter of my work, said when Moyers broadcast a less-than-laudatory commentary about Israel's Gaza invasion, Foxman accused the moral, the veteran journalist uh, a, and liberal icon, of course, I kid you not, of moral equivalency, racism, historical revisionism, and indifference to terrorism. Commenting on Barack Obama's choice of former Senator George Mitchell to act as a U.S. envoy to the region, Get this. He says Mitchell is, quote, fair and meticulously even-handed, and Foxman says he's, quote, not sure that the situation requires that kind of approach, unquote. Foxman moral compass has gotten so twisted, he has the ADL working to undermine congressional resolutions condemning genocide, specifically that committed by Turks against the Armenians. Israel and Turkey, of course, prior to the firing on a uh, relief flotilla a couple of years ago, we're actually very close allies in the Mideast region. And Turkey, of course, is, remains part of NATO and uh, certainly uh, is a significant player in the region known as the Middle East. Needless to say, um, Irving uh, William Crystal got involved in the whole dispute. And... He said, in response, noting that Moyers said, Every nation has the right to defend its people. Israel is no exception. All the more so because Hamas would like to see every Jew in Israel dead or is concerned about the growth of a radical stream of Islam that now seeks to eliminate from the face of the earth. Well, that's Bill Moyers, and that's the approach that he had. And... Uh, Later in the column, he notes that uh, Haratz's uh, Israeli uh, newspaper and uh, celebrated author, patriot David Grossman, termed the Gaza operation, quote, just one more way station 
on a road paved with fire, violence, and hatred, and added that our conduct here is this region has for a long time been flawed, immoral, and unwise. So I think that an objective analysis of, of uh, is, Israel's foreign policy in the region is uh, fair game. And I think that Chuck Hagel in, in the past has probably questioned some of the connections uh, between Israel's foreign policy vis-a-vis the American national interest. Um, the book, uh, this intellectual book, The Israel Lobby and U.S. Foreign Policy, of course, is one of these very dense, uh, highly footnoted um, type of uh, uh, works, and I wanted to uh, read a couple of paragraphs from this work because I think it's uh, is one of the most important uh, books for all Americans to read, if for no other reason than to understand the complexities of, um, uh, of the foreign policy. And of course, um, Walt and uh, Mearsheimer and Walt are mainly going after uh, APAC. Um, they list in their book, incidentally, this reasons to support Israel. And I have these summarized as follows. The strategic ally, post-Holocaust sympathy, shared political values, Israel's underdog image, uh, common cultural linkages, and role of the Jewish community in American politics, which I'll get to in a second. On the issue of economic aid and military aid, one of the things that Walt and um, Mearsheimer examine is the extent of this aid. And I wanted to read some of these numbers because they are startling. As of 2005, I'm quoting Walt and Mearsheimer here, as of 2005, direct U.S. economic and military assistance to Israel amounted to nearly $154 billion. The bulk of uh, it comprising direct grants rather than loans. He then goes into a sort of brief, brief synopsis of the uh, aid that America supplied to Israel, uh, noting, of course, that uh, Harry Truman uh, recognized, he, he decided to back the U.N. partition of, uh, of uh, Palestine in 1947 and to recognize it immediately after its declaration of independence in May of 1948. It's interesting to note by the time, just uh, at the time, just because I'm sort of an expert on Truman uh, and FDR, that uh, almost all of Truman's top advisors uh, avoided, um, wanted, did did not recommend this uh, recognition. Uh, they saw the uh, Arab region as uh, significantly strategic to America's foreign policy interests at the time. Indeed, it's interesting to note that FDR actually left Yalta early to meet on a boat <laughs> uh, with uh, King Farouk, uh, the king of Morocco, whose name escapes me at the time, and the king of Saudi Arabia. This was to become the sort of the conceptual uh, sort of blueprint for American foreign policy in the Middle East. FDR was uh, completely aware of the fact that America had uh, used quite a bit of oil in prosecuting World War II, uh, the amount of oil. And, of course, oil was, was one of the key uh, components of why the Allied forces won. Uh, we had 
the United States, uh, in fact, uh, the bombing of Pearl Harbor was largely precipitated by the fact that FDR had cut Japan off from our oil supplies in uh, the summer of 1941 as the uh, war crimes uh, began to mount in increasing numbers in Japan, in in, uh, China, and uh, other islands of the Pacific. Uh, We, of course, didn't get into World War II directly until uh, December of 1941, but uh, clearly... even after Germany invaded the Soviet Union, we began to supply the Soviet Union with Lend-Lease aid, and we had supplied Great Britain with Lend-Lease aid and various uh, forms of assistance, uh, particularly f- after the fall of France in June of 1940 and the um, Vichy regime and all that. It's interesting to note that in 1962, John F. Kennedy, in December of '62 told Israel, uh, Israeli Foreign Minister Golda Meir that the United States has a special relationship with Israel in the Middle East and that he soon a- authorized the first major sale of U.S. weaponry, Hawk anti-aircraft missiles, to Israel in 1963. Interesting to note, by the way, that the Hawks anti-aircraft uh, missiles were part of the missile package that Ronald Reagan secretly sold to Iran during the Iran-Contra affair. Israel initially supplied these hawks to Iran, and then the United States took this over directly. Mearsheimer and Walt note that following the Six-Day War in June of 67, after averaging roughly $63 million annually from 1949 until 1965, more than 95% of which was economic assistance and food aid, average aid increased to $102 million per year from 66 to 70. In other words, Lyndon Johnson was basically uh, upping the money uh, being supplied to Israel. Support soared in $634 million in 1971. Roughly 85% of this was military assistance and more than quintupled after the Yom Kippur War in 1973. Israel became the largest annual recipient of U.S. foreign assistance. And it's important that since 1974, some or all of U.S. military aid has been in the form of loans for which repayment is waived. Technically, the assistance is called loans, but as a practical matter, the military aid is a grant. And this, of course, is why the Mearsheimer book, I think, is so useful, because it goes into the uh, numbers, the facts, and the whole uh, relationship. And then it examines... um, some aspects of the of the relationship, and that uh, at one point has an interesting uh, ty- uh, chapter entitled "Israel: Strategic Ally or Liability." And they go on, of course, to argue that uh, they're more of a liability than a strategic asset. Just wanted to note, by the way, that uh, this great matters is winding down here on WCBN FM Ann Arbor like to thank Andrew for engineering once again this evening. And I wanted to turn uh, to a little later in the book uh, regarding this aid to Israel. In terms of 
per capita assistance, Israel receives about $500 per year from the American government. By comparison, the two recipients of American foreign aid next in line are Egypt, which receives $20 per person, and Pakistan and Haiti receive roughly $5 per per, uh, $5. Pakistan, $5, and excuse me, Haiti, $27 per person. Of course, most of the aid to uh, Haiti is usually just in the form of uh, relief aid due to the uh, terrible economic conditions there. They are the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. And Pakistan, of course, is part of the strategic tilt that the Nixon administration undertook in uh, 1971, the famous tilt to Pakistan. Uh, the story was broke by John and uh, Jack Anderson at the time, and what that got him, by the way, were harassment um, actions from the Nixon administration. His uh, phones were bugged. His uh, trash was rifled through. And there were even open discussions in the uh, committee to reelect the president by Gordon Liddy of assassinating Jack Anderson. This was the sort of... Uh, you know, mindset that Richard Nixon operated uh, with, and we'll certainly have more to discuss uh, about Richard Nixon in upcoming shows. So I think that the uh, accusations uh, uh, regarding Chuck Hagel are phony. He's not an anti-Semite, and even if he was, and he's not, but even if he was, who cares? His job is running the Pentagon, and I think that he's been put into place by Barack Obama, because he knows, as Obama said today, uh, rather eloquently, that war is, uh, you know, Hegel understands the mud, the pain, the killing, the blood. He's a boot on the ground that knows that war is not the parade that you see on television, that it's hell, to paraphrase uh, General Sherman. And uh, <clears throat> I think that Hegel... Also, as a deficit hawk, is being put into this position because I think that he genuinely uh, believes that the Pentagon budget is way too high. And if there was one bad thing about the failure of the uh, <laughs> fiscal cliff to occur is that we didn't go into the sequestration in which there would have been $110 billion of mandatory cuts. These would have occurred across the board. The Pentagon would have had to deal with $50 billion of cuts. And uh, the entitlements like Medicare and uh, Social Security were, were exempted. So going over the cliff, I sort of agreed with Paul Krugman on the matter that uh, it wouldn't have been the end of the world. And in fact, might have been a good thing. And of course, we'll see in upcoming months how these spending cuts are implemented. And I certainly hope that, that Chuck Hagel... Um, gets the job. He seems like the right man at the right time for this position. Uh, the Republicans, who constantly talk about cutting government spending, well, yeah, they need to put their money where their mouths have been for the last uh, 20 years, 30 years, whatever. Uh, when they've been in power, they have not cut spending. That's been the uh, actual factual, you know, th those are the facts that we're operating here. They've increased spending massively. And we were discussing last week that uh, since the war on terror began under George Bush, that the national security 
apparatus loosely known as, as Homeland Security gets about $80 billion a year. Uh, taxes have not been raised to pay for this. Um, and this, of course, is why we have the structural deficits that, 